morning. All right. Um, a, a quick update on, on uh, my son. Since I haven't been here in the pulpit for a few weeks, um, we've, we've completed the first round of chemotherapy. Uh, for those of you who may be visiting, my son has a brain tumor that, we've, um, that we found out about in March. And we've gone through radiation, and now we're starting chemotherapy. Um, and they've had surgery. They've gotten most of it out, and we're, we're hoping and praying they can get the rest of it out. So uh, we'll have six months of that. There's once a month. We go to children's. We spend two nights in the hospital, three days of chemotherapy. And so that's, that's going to be the, the pattern here for a while. And I would have to say after the first round, um, he has weathered the side effects of that as, as well as anybody could. Um, he's, a, he's a tough kid. Um, sorry. And um, he was actually here this morning at the 8.30 service. He wanted to especially see Mrs. Collins, if you know her. Um, he used to work as a sexton here on Sundays and got to help her on Sunday mornings. And he wanted to see her and, of course, Tony and Charles and the other sextons. Um, so he's out, you know, fishing with friends, he's living his life, and, and, and we're doing okay. And I, I know, you know, it's hard, obviously, but it's, um, we're okay, and we're very grateful for all of your continued prayers. I do want to mention, um, because it wreaks such havoc on your immune system, we're being extra careful in the Cummins house, um, trying not to bring in germs, and so for the next, you know, through January probably, um, I'll do a lot of fist bumps, but not a lot of hugs and handshakes um, with you. Just, I'm going to keep a little distance, okay? All right, let's pray. Loving God, open us this morning, our hearts, our minds, our ears, and a willingness to be surprised by you, that you might actually have something to say to us today. In Christ we pray, amen. So something I love about this church is that this church loves questions. We know that questions are not, as it seems some churches think, they are not a threat to one's faith, but rather a vital part of it. But sometimes we can get so focused on our questions that we forget that, you know, Jesus had a few of his own. And Clover and I thought it might be interesting to spend the next few weeks flipping that and focusing not on our questions, but on some of the questions that Jesus asked. And then when the Webb telescope revealed about two weeks ago the image from deep space that you have on your bulletin cover, we knew that we were on the right track. Take a look. That really is an unaltered image from a far away cluster of galaxies that because of the angle appears to be a cosmic-sized question mark. Isn't that cool? So, with God's clear endorsement of this series, <laughs> let's dig in. Our passage today is a particularly question-rich stretch in which Jesus asks ten of them in just ten verses, ending with the question that I want to focus on, do you not yet understand? But before we can find out what we don't understand, I want to make sure that you caught one of the funnier moments in Mark's gospel. When the passage opens, Jesus is approached by some Pharisees, right, who ask him for a sign to prove himself, which clearly irritates Jesus because he refuses to give a sign, 
and abruptly gets in a boat and leaves, okay? Once he's in the boat, he says to the, to the disciples something a little cryptic. He says, beware the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. I don't know why he throws Herod in there. Seems like a cheap shot, but, you know, just he's irritated, right? He's, he's mad. But the disciples, meanwhile, are stressed out for a whole different reason. They have realized that they didn't go to the grocery before they got in the boat. Really. And there's no bread. There's one loaf of bread left. So, you know, they're either worried that they are going to run out of food or that Jesus is going to be mad at them for not getting enough bread or maybe both. And so when Jesus starts talking about the yeast of the Pharisees, beware the yeast of the Pharisees, they think he's talking about yeast, right? And they mumble to themselves, it's because we have no bread, right? And then Jesus replies, why are you talking about having no bread? Right? His mind is on, he's trying to teach them some deep spiritual truth. Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not perceive or understand? Are, are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but you can't see? Do you, do you have ears but fail to hear? Oh, and do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000 people... How many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? Twelve. Twelve. And when I broke four loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? Seven. 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 And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Do you not yet understand? No, they don't. And if we're honest, we don't either. We don't really understand Jesus, I think, because all day long, in a thousand different ways, we, like the disciples, are worrying about bread. Will we have enough? Will we have enough love? Will we have enough money? Will we have enough status? Will we be enough, smart enough, successful enough, attractive enough, good enough? All day long, this incessant drum of insecurity and really fear beats in the background of our lives. I doubt most of us realize how much fear actually shapes how we see the world, how we see each other, we see ourselves. But of course, there seems to be good reason for this, right? Everywhere we look, there is something new to worry about in this world. And at one level, those things are absolutely real and scary. And I in no way want to suggest today that they're not. And yet, there's Jesus standing on the side saying, why are you worried about bread? Do you not yet understand? So what is it that we don't get? My basic understanding of who Jesus was or is is that he was, a, first of all, a person, fully human, as we say. 
But he was a person that was so completely in touch with a deeper reality, a deeper way of seeing, that he knew that the scarcity that seems so apparent to us is not the whole picture. Maybe not even close to the whole picture. And from there, he could see instead this this hidden wholeness to the world. He could feel, instead of that drumbeat of insecurity and fear, this this vibrational hum and, and aliveness that moves through this world that is God. He could feel that so deeply and so completely and lived so attuned to it that we can rightly say he was also fully God. Does that make sense? And so from this place, Jesus could see that really everything is okay. More than okay, it is so gloriously beautiful and whole and, and shot through with love that there's really nothing to fear. Not ultimately. He could see that even the hardest things we go through, even the scariest things we can imagine, ultimately do not have the power or the finality that we think they do. He knew that even death, the ultimate running out of bread, need not frighten us. Because it's all held in God, it's held in love, and it's all okay. And this is what we are too busy worrying about bread to understand. That's what I think. But that's great for Jesus, if you're Jesus. So is there a way that we can see the world at least glimpse the world the way Jesus does? Is it even possible? Well, I do find it interesting that Jesus got mad at the disciples who clearly aren't working, you know, overtime. He's mad at them for not understanding this. He seems to think that they not only could get it, but actually they should get it. And that gives me hope for us. You know, we spend so much of our time trying to manage things and trying to control things. And I'm tempted to ask, how's that working out for you? And I'm tempted to ask myself, could it be that the secret is actually to do the exact opposite? What if instead we tried letting go of things? What things? Honestly, just about everything, which seems crazy, I know. I mean letting go of outcomes, letting go of the need, needing things to go your way, letting go of what people think of you because it's none of your business anyway, Let go of that stupid thing your brother said to you three weeks ago that you're still holding on to. Let go of the stupid thing you said back to him. And really, at some level, let go of even the questions. You know, we're doing this series on questions, but at some level, 
that's still at this bread level of trying to, to control, to understand, to figure it out. And at this level that I'm talking about, it's even beneath our questions that are great. But there's a deeper level. A deeper level where we give up any hope of saving ourselves, of figuring this out for ourselves, of managing our way out of this. In religious language, the word is surrender. It's a scary word. Surrender. But as Paul says in his letter to the Philippians, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Because this was the path of Jesus who though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. That word there is kenosis. I've talked about it before. What if we, like Jesus, are to empty ourselves? What if we let go and let go and let go until, as Paul told the Galatians, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We are that empty. To our small, worried self, I know that sounds crazy. It does to me too. It seems, ironically, way too scary. And so we choose instead the fears we know rather than jump off that cliff into some radical trust of this life and of God. And I mean a radical jump. But oh, in those rare times that we do, I know you've had even moments or those times where life pushes us off the cliff as it has a way of doing when we have to cry uncle, we can't manage it anymore. And we realize, to our surprise, that all of that worry over bread was unnecessary because it was based on the mistaken belief that we are just these isolated, separated, scared little selves. And we realize the deeper truth is that we are more than enough, that there is more than enough, that we are part of a much larger fabric, and that fabric is holy. It is holy. You are holy. And we have always been and always will be perfectly safe and whole no matter what happens to us in this brief life. I know it sounds crazy, but then we can realize that we can say along with that closing hymn today, we do not fear, for we believe that God dreams of worlds we can't conceive. We realize we just didn't yet understand.